Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. George Norrie back with you along with Mitch Horowitz, author of The Miracle Habits, The Secret of Turning Your Moments into Miracles. We'll take calls with Mitch next hour. Perhaps you can share some of your own miracle stories with us, too. Remember the movie It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart? Oh, for sure. A classic, right? Absolutely. Now, wasn't it a miracle that Clarence the Angel brought himself down to save George Bailey from, you know, jumping into the water? and, uh, you know, doing himself in and trying to convince him what life would be like for other people with him gone. Would you call that a miracle movie? Oh, absolutely. You know, in in fact, one of the things I always tell people is that whenever you're suffering, as the character in that movie was, try to hang on for 24 hours more. Try to hang on for 24 hours more because you have no idea the extraordinary good news that life could visit upon you. And I don't say that as some platitude. Everyone listening would agree that life visits tragedies upon us. That's one of the things that we all have to deal with. But in as much as life is tragic, it can also just be extraordinary joyous and absurd good news. Unbelievable perspectives and good turns can come to us out of the blue. It's not just blind hopefulness. It's fact. It's fact. Try to hang on for 24 hours longer if you're, you're dealing with deep pain. Why are you suspicious of people that uh, talk and boast about charity and service? Yeah, it's interesting, George. You know, it sounds kind of heartless on the face of it. Gee, is Mitch against charity? Well, and, you, you, and you're not a heartless guy. I know you. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. You know, I find that a lot of times people who talk charity and service do just that. You know, they talk. I want to know people by their actions. What I'm more interested in is solidarity. If somebody is hurting, do you come to their side? Do you come to their side silently? You know, if somebody is suffering from some kind of an injury, maybe they've been run down in reputation or something like that, maybe you feel it's unfair, show them that you believe in them. Show them that they're not just being abandoned to the mob. You know, I think there's really a lot to be said for solidarity, which is just showing somebody that when you're injured, when you're hurt, when you're smeared, you're not going to be abandoned. I think that's infinitely more valuable than talking about service and goodness. Do it silently if you're going to do it at all. But, um, well, you know, when I was a kid, I read a religious passage in the Talmud, beware the man who bespeaks his own virtue. Don't talk virtue. Act with solidarity. Act it. That's that's absolutely true. What about prayer, Mitch? I believe prayer is something that everybody should be engaging in, and they should engage in it on their own terms. It's the one escape hatch that we always have from pain that life faces us with. If you, have a, uh, if you practice a standard traditional religion, then by all means, engage in that kind of prayer. But I also believe that prayer is limitless. Prayer is without boundary. If you feel a connection to one of the ancient gods, let's say, from Greek or Egyptian tradition, whether that's Jupiter or Zeus or Athena or Set, you can try to find a relationship with that figure. You know, our ancient ancestors observed energies in nature, and they personified these energies. They gave them names like Mercury or Athena or Jupiter or Minerva. Zeus. And Zeus. And I wouldn't just dismiss that. We admire these people for their calendars, their agriculture, their engineering. Why shouldn't we also probe their spiritual ideas? You can form whatever relationship you want with any deity you want, and you can pray, you can petition. There's no rules. I encourage everybody to try it. You also like a late author, a mystical author by the name of Neville Goddard, who died in 1972. Tell me about your interest with him. 
He's the greatest influence of my life. I have a tattoo of Neville Goddard on my, really? my left bicep, as a matter of fact. Yes, uh, Neville had one simple teaching, which is that your imagination is God. And whenever you encounter reference to God in Scripture, New Testament, Old Testament, you're encountering a symbolic reference to your own imagination. And that the Bible is a blueprint for your own psychological development, and that everything that you experience, including the words that I'm speaking right now, are a product of your own mental pictures and your own emotionalized thoughts. In fact, Neville would say that the very words that I'm uttering right now are just a figment of whatever your listeners are ready to hear. There's no Mitch speaking. Your own listeners are creating their own reality at this very moment through their thoughts, their beliefs, their perspectives. And Neville believed that your imagination is God, and he meant it in the most literal sense. Interesting take. And uh, how did you stumble across him? You know, it was funny. I was writing an article about a Major League Baseball pitcher named Barry Zito, who used to pitch for the San Francisco Giants. This must go back now to 2003. And Barry used a lot of metaphysical methods in his training regimen. And he said to me, wow, you must really be into Neville. I had never heard the name before. So I went out and I got one of Neville Goddard's huh. books. I was overwhelmed. It, it, it changed everything for me. Neville has become the most influential figure in my life. Well, that's fantastic. Habit number eight in your book of 13 habits, spend for power. Tell me about that. Yeah. You know, a lot of people have trouble maintaining budgets, and of course I don't need to tell your listeners that everybody's going through a financial crisis right now. You should really make an effort only to spend money on things that will increase your ability to earn more of it. Obviously, we have to take care of certain necessities of life, but before you go spending money on entertainment, on anything new, any new object, whether it's an object of clothing or household appliance or what have you, Ask yourself the question, is this going to help me be more productive? Is this going to help me earn? Is this active spending going to allow me to become more capable of earning money? That's what I mean by spend for power. Would you say Napoleon uh, Hill, who wrote the book Think and Grow Rich, dealt with miracles, or was he more motivational? Well, he was really both. You know, Think and Grow Rich has been an extraordinary influence on me. And, you know, some people make the mistake of thinking that Napoleon Hill, because of his title, Think and Grow Rich, was just offering a mental program. But To make Hill money, really, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was offering an overall program. You know, he was talking about how to concretize ideas into reality. Some of it is motivational. Some of it is action-oriented. I encourage everybody to read Think and Grow Rich. I, I try to reread it at least once every year of my life. How did he come across these pr principles? You know, it's funny. Napoleon Hill wrote his book in 1937 in the midst of the Great Depression, not much different than what we're going through right now. And Hill realized that as the old economic order was falling away, men and women were going to have to become increasingly self-reliant, whether they wanted to or not, in order to earn a living. And he felt that there were principles that you could apply that would allow you to take a basic idea and turn it into a money-making enterprise. And, you know, our generation, frankly, is going to have to rediscover these teachings because, unfortunately, we're facing circumstances that are similar to the Great Depression. Absolutely. Who was the famous minister that you followed who died without faith? Yeah, this was Norman Vincent Peale, the author of The Power of Positive Thinking, one of the books that really popularized the phrase positive thinking. 
I was told a story uh, several years ago, which I write about in The Miracle Habits, uh, by uh, a successor of Peel's, another minister who was close to him. Peel was on his deathbed. He died in the mid-1990s, and his daughter walked into a room where some people were sitting vigilant. She said, you know, Daddy is on his deathbed, and he has no faith. He has no faith. Interesting. Yeah, and I heard that story, and I thought to myself, I could be in that position someday. You know, I didn't judge him. I asked, you know, what, what is faith? What does faith really mean? And I came to feel that what faith means, at least for me, is persistence. Faith is a kind of persistence. And if people have problems with the term faith, substitute the term persistence and see what that does for you. Would you say what you, you practice, Mitch, is motivation? I mean, would Anthony Robbins love this? Well, it's interesting. You know, Anthony Robbins, uh, he's helped a lot of people, and I admire him. I'm more metaphysical in nature than Robbins is. He has a lot of wonderful ideas. I place more of an emphasis on the fact that we live in the physical world, and we also live in a metaphysical world. Our thoughts are causative. We have a non-physical existence, and I believe that's, that's a very important part of what happens to us. Yet you both deal with the power of the individual. Absolutely. I, I think that the individual has vastly more power than he or she realizes. But this power gets hidden from us. It gets run down because we're in the wrong kind of company. We're around the wrong kind of peer pressure. We're told that certain things are unrealistic. My contention is that a focused and concentrated mind and actions that complement that mental focus can make you extraordinarily powerful. But we don't try it. We don't believe it. We allow ourselves to get waylaid by entertainment or by intoxication or by escapism, and we don't really give ourselves the benefit of harnessing our full power. Where does ESP, extrasensory perception, fit into this? You know, I've been working uh, on uh, ESP research and writing about ESP research for many, many years. Uh, several years ago, someone said to me, maybe all this positive thinking is really just ESP. Maybe we're always sending out signals, so to speak, and other people might get attracted to us, be willing to meet us halfway, be willing to lend us a hand. And I, I was intrigued by that statement, and I began to do everything I could to educate myself about, immerse myself in ESP research. I'm not a clinician. I'm a seeker. But I've surveyed the landscape of ESP research in this country going back to the 1930s, and I have to say there is absolutely no question that we have juried clinical evidence for some extra physical capacity of thought. People have no idea how powerful their thoughts are. When you concentrate on something, you may be engaging in the ESP of everyday life. You may be reaching out to people. You may be somehow contacting people who can meet you halfway, who can lend you a hand. Never underestimate the powers of your thoughts. Habit four, solidarity. Tell me about yes. that. That is really just standing by people when they're injured, when they're suffering. It is abstaining from gossip. I believe that gossip, tailbearing, rumor is an absolute smog in this society. It's choking us. You know, when we trade rumors about people, most of the time, we're trading stories that we know nothing about. We're sharing stories that might be mitigated by circumstances that we don't know anything about. And it afflicts us as well. There's an absolute reciprocity in life, I think psychologically and I think metaphysically. And whatever we say about other people, it is coming back to us. It is coming back to us. So solidarity is really just another way of talking about reciprocity. What I do to another person, I'm doing to myself. Habit seven is a little like habit six, uh, which is, of course, what you mentioned earlier, stay away from cruel people. Yes. Habit seven, choose your comrades. Yes. Yes. 
Once you've decided to get cruel people out of your life, you have to ask yourself, well, what's left? What remains? First of all, it is better to be nobly alone than to be in low company. And I understand the sting of loneliness. I understand the pain of loneliness. But I can tell everybody listening from experience is vastly better, and you will stand much taller and feel better about yourself to be nobly alone than to settle for low company. Only choose to be around friends and colleagues and loved ones who are going to lift you up, who are worthy people. We don't understand the power of choosing our colleagues and our comrades in life. Seize that power. Take that power. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.